Turn in your Bibles with me back to Genesis chapter 28. We are in this series we decided to call Climb. Now, it is rare, I confess, it is rare that I will write a series uh, ahead of time and know the whole outline of this direction of this series. And such is the case with this series. Some of you might have thought, but this one I did. No, I didn't do it with this one either. And in this series, the direction that God has led us has really become a little bit of a case study, if you will, of the life of Jacob. Jacob, the one who was in his early years referred to as the deceiver, and in his later years referred to as Israel, triumphant in God. Last week, we ended on this statement that I want to revisit that will launch us into the message today. I said, you should not try to live from yesterday's revelation. In fact, I countrified it just a little bit for you last week. I said, don't try to live off of yesterday's, alpha, that's one word for the record, O-F-F-A, alpha, yesterday's revelation. What does that mean? That means um, that you shouldn't just lean on your past experiences because God wants to do something fresh. God wants to do something new. God wants to do something now. Your best days are not behind you. They're ahead of you. You don't live in the glory days of your past. You walk in the glory days of your future. That is who God is. And in Lamentation chapter 3, of all the books to put this promise in, the book of Lament, God reminds His people in chapter 3 verse 22, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. If you were ever over at our house, you can ask my wife to show you a book of some pictures that uh, Shutterfly helped us put together, I believe. It was pictures that we had taken on one of the original iPhones, so they're a little blurry. They're much better now, but uh, it was one of the pictures is my absolute favorite. It's the picture the same day that Adeline was born, our first baby, our first baby girl. Come on, my dad had three boys. His dad had, had two. His dad had five. So I just thought, this is a heritage of sons that's going to come in this Fry family. And uh, my first two were girls. Come on, somebody's like, well, every dog we buy is a boy. Just We're just trying to keep up in our household. But Adeline is born, which was exciting. I was excited about having a baby. And then I was terrified to find out at the moment I realized that there was nothing in my life. There was nothing in her life that was going to be able to separate my love from her. That that is the love of not just an earthly father who is imperfect, but a heavenly father who is perfect and holy. And to understand that the faithful, the fatherly, the perfect love of the Lord never ends. God is not mad at you. He's not sitting upstairs waiting for you to stumble so he can kick you while you're down. The faithful love of the Lord never 
ends. Now listen, that is not a license to continue willfully in a lifestyle of rebellion. Because I can promise you, that same baby girl I love so much starts acting like a fool. I'm going to treat her like one. Come on, somebody. But, but, I'm, but the faithful love, even in the midst of my foolishness, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. And his mercies never cease. As long as you have breath and a heartbeat, there's still an opportunity for God to redeem and restore you. If this is true, then why do so many saints live off of yesterday's experience? Because verse 23 says, great is his faithfulness and his mercies begin afresh each morning. So you don't have to live off of last year's revival. You don't have to live off of last month's series. You don't have to live off of the devotional that you used to have, the prayer life that you used to have, the passion that you used to have. No, his mercies are made afresh. They begin afresh. So if you screwed up yesterday, come on, somebody. Today is a new day in Christ. If you messed up on the way here this morning, you slapped a kid or yelled at a spouse. Come on, I'm just being honest. My daddy was taking me to church. Some of you heard this. My daddy was taking me to church. Um, I, I don't even remember how old I was, but I wasn't very old. And I got, and my, my daddy, he, he dropped the D word on me. And I felt like just a little dumb boy when I did it, when he said it to me, because I spilled his dip cup. I spilled his dip cup in the truck on the way to church. And I got yelled at. Looking back, I'm thinking, your dip cup shouldn't have been in the truck on the way to church. I'm just saying, like, it ain't my fault I spilled your dip cup sitting in the truck. Now, listen, I'm not sending you to hell this morning if you got a dip truck sitting in your truck. On a dip cup sitting in your truck. Man, if your whole truck is full of dip, you may want to consider a lifestyle change. I'm just, may want to be an examination that you make before you leave here today. But, man, his mercies are made new every morning. Aren't you thankful His mercies are made new every morning? Though sorrow may last for a night, come on, joy. Every morning, God is still there and He's still available. You don't have to stay in yesterday. Pastor Rick DuBose is our assistant general superintendent of the entire Assemblies of God. Uh, he is uh, an incredible man of God. He used to be the North Texas superintendent, one of the largest Assembly of God districts in the nation Everybody looks to North Texas. They're, they're always uh, leading the way as first movers. And what North Texas is doing, everybody's trying to catch up to. And, and he led that district for a good number of years. One of his staff members was a man that I have a lot of respect for. His name is Pastor John Catron. And when I was with Pastor John Catron and another group of youth pastors as we were at the district office one day, and Pastor Rick walked by. And John Catron was talking about this idea of how so many people live off of yesterday's revelation. So many people try to live off of what God said to them however many years ago. Instead of listening to what God is saying this year, this day. And when Pastor Rick, told you there's a lot of kids back there. When Pastor Rick walked by, Pastor John said, you see that man right there? Every morning, the reason he's so spiritually stable, the reason he's so solid, is because every morning he wakes up and spends time with Jesus. Now, whether you do that at night before you go to bed, at lunch before you go eat, or in the morning before you take off for your day, 
You should strive seven days a week to spend time with Jesus. Rick DuBose would come down the hallway and he would ask people, impromptu and sporadically, what did Jesus say to you today? And his staff knew it didn't matter what they were doing. It didn't matter how important they thought it was. If they couldn't answer that question, he was about to go make them sit in a room by themselves until they had a fresh word from Jesus for that day. I asked the question last week. I want to continue it this week. What is the Holy Spirit telling you to stop? What is the Holy Spirit telling you to stop? Instead of asking what is permissible, let's start asking God what is pleasing. Because He's our Heavenly Father. And He's faithful. What is He asking you to stop? What is He willing to work on you with? What is it time for you to just stop allowing to stick around in your life and begin afresh tomorrow morning, this afternoon, right now in this service? What is God telling you to start? What is the Holy Spirit stirring in you right now? What are you dreaming about? What are you envisioning? What physically in you? Don't just stop that bad habit and be satisfied. Man, I used, to, I used to go out every night. Now I just sit at home and pray in tongues on Friday. I mean, I just sit in my living room chair and shunda shoulda but a Hyundai, but I bought a Camry. Whatever it is. He's not just telling you to stop, okay? I gave you that example, so I'm not making fun of the prayer language. I love the fact. I'm like, Paul, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, and I hope I speak in tongues more than you all. It's a biblical principle. It's a prayer language available for the bab from the baptism. But at the same time, if all you ever do is sit around satisfied with the stuff that you've stopped, then why was Jesus resurrected? Because he could have just died. See, he called you to start a new life in him. Be a new creation in him. What daily devotional is he telling? What prayer life? What eating habit? Oh, done gone there. What activity? What exercise? See, the truth is, a lot of us are not hurting because of what's happening in our bodies. A lot of us are hurting because of what we're putting in our bodies. And this is a temple. And we need to hear from God in every area of our lives. Stop the things He tells us to stop and start the things that He tells us to start. In Genesis 28, verse 16, the Bible says, Jacob woke up from his sleep. Have you ever been dreaming and it was so good that when you woke up, you just wish you'd go back to sleep? Like you're like, uh, no! Oh, go back to sleep, go back to sleep. Hey, I want to go back to that spot. I mean, Jacob is dreaming about a ladder of God from heaven. Angels are ascending and descending, and God is standing at the top of the ladder, and he hears the voice of the Lord, and he's having this incredible moment with God in his dream, and then all of a sudden that man wakes up. <laughs> he was having a great time, and reality slapped him in the face. The Bible says Jacob, 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 Jacob awoke from his sleep, and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. Verse 17, as excited as he was in his dream, the Bible says now he's afraid. Because he's back awake. He's not just floating through cloud nine spirit land anymore. He's now back down in reality. But he says, how awesome is this place? 
How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and the gate of heaven. And then we begin to read Jacob's story where he left from that place and went to Haru. When the gate rode through hell. Father, right now, I just pray that you would let this simmer in our hearts today. God, that we would stay attuned, that you would help me to speak effectively and efficiently. And Father, right now, that you would help us to hear from you, not just what you've said, but what you're saying. May our hearts be receptive and open. And would your spirit help our carnal minds to understand exactly what you want to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. What do you do when the gateway to heaven, you walk through it and you get to the other side, you just had a dream you didn't even ask for, and now you're walking in obedience to Jesus through the gateway of heaven, but that gateway feels like it led more to a road through hell than it did the streets of pearl. What do you do when you feel like your prayers are hitting the ceiling and slapping you back in the face? What do you do when you know you're seeking God more than you ever have before, and yet he seems more silent than he's ever been before? What will you do in those moments? Jacob's story is that he left Haran, and he went to his uncle Laban's house, and he met Rachel, one of Laban's daughters, and she was beautiful. Like, she caught his attention. You know, it was like that time I was in Shreveport, and I went to this house that I probably shouldn't have been in. This little blonde-headed girl walked by in shorts she shouldn't have been wearing. I'm just saying. <laughs> and she looked at me, and I looked at her. And she kept walking, and I turned around, because I ain't no fool. <laughs> this is what happened to Jacob in that moment. Now, something happened in her, too, because she didn't come back to me because of my blossoming personality at the time. She saw me in my hat and T-shirt. I was like, what's up, girl? And I kept, I didn't let her see I turned around. I kept walking, too. Like, I didn't let her know. Jacob sees Rachel. He's letting her know. He's going home. I'm talking from the day he met her. Goes home to her daddy and is like, hey, I want to marry her. I mean, this girl, was, this girl was beyond what some of us have seen. I mean, Jacob's ready to just be in the day he met her. Love at first sight. Now, I think that's foolish but personally, but he went to her daddy. Hey, what can I do to have her hand? And her daddy said, well, same thing. By the way, this is biblical. Her daddy said, well, you can work for me for seven years. I think I'm going to implement this into my... <laughs> I'm getting 14 years out of somebody. 14. I got two girls. One of them's going... And Jacob says, okay. So he works for seven years expecting to receive Rachel and... Many of you know the story. Some of you maybe have never heard it before, but more special than it's supposed to be. Anyway, that's another sermon for another day. Jacob got all liquored up. He went into the tent in the darkness, and he consummated his marriage with his wife. If you don't know what that means, ask your mama. The next morning, they woke up, and he rolled over to tell Rachel he loved her. He rolled over and said, I love you. Ah! You ain't Rachel. She said, no. <laughs> I mean, she knew she tricked him, too. But she wasn't as good looking as the one that he had asked for. So he goes back to his uncle. He's like, what's up with that? <laughs> like, what have you done to me, man? I worked seven years for that. And Laban says, you know what? Being the gracious and humble uncle that I am, I gave you one of my daughters 
you work seven years, but if you'll work seven more, I'll give you the other daughter. Well, the story is Jacob, again, was willing to work the seven years. And at the end of the seven years, he received Rachel. And Leah began to produce sons for Jacob. And Rachel was barren. And you see this story. The one that he loved and wanted to love was barren. And the one that he didn't even really want was producing his legacy. And at the end of this 14 years, he had them both. But he stayed through for about another six years. The Bible refers and scholars can uh, assume and, and summate that it was about 20 years. 20 years that Jacob went through all of this mess with his uncle Laban. And at the end of those 20 years, all we see is Jacob having to run for his life from his uncle just to end up back in the place that he had a dream, come out on the other side and wrestle with God until he touched his hip and Jacob limped around for the rest of his life. How did we go from a dream of a ladder with angels ascending and descending into a wrestling match with our Heavenly Father to a broken hip that would never heal. In 20 years as an indentured servant to a crooked uncle, I've got to wonder if Jacob happened to ever ask at one point, God, do you see this? God, do you see what's happening to me? God, are you there? Why are you not stepping in? You revealed yourself to me when I didn't even ask you to. And here I am begging you to, and yet you sit silent. What do you do? What will you do when the gate of heaven feels more like a road through hell? Will you persevere for 20 years, come back to that place and continue to wrestle with God? Or will you become a statistic? I want to give you two things this morning that I believe that God wants to do in that time. Number one, if you're taking notes, and I recommend that you do because you won't remember it otherwise. But if you'll take notes, you can go back and look at it and learn from it in the future. Number one, I want to encourage you to let God use you. Let God use you. In those moments when the gateway to heaven feels more like a road through hell, I want you to set yourself to the side and begin to ask God to reveal to you who He can use you to minister to. See, it's those times and those moments that we stop thinking we have something to say and we actually have something worth hearing. It's in those times that we go from just being sympathetic and feeling sorry for people. Oh, like the, the Pharisee over the tax collector. Oh, poor wretched soul. I'm so glad that it's not me going through that. I feel really bad. I'm so sorry for you. But Lord, I'm thankful that it's not me. See, we go from feeling sorry. We go from having sympathy to having empathy. It's from where the Pharisee would be standing over the tax collector that's pleading his heart with God to the Pharisee kneeling down in the dirt with the tax collector pleading his heart with God. I had the opportunity recently, uh, it was at Crossroads Church on a Thursday morning. We took our staff down there and 
uh, a young preacher, uh, you know, very similar to myself, was speaking that morning. His name was Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. Um, not a big deal, just a Ph.D. from Oxford uh, speaking that morning. And, and he began to give us his presentation. He is uh, the head of, of a, a Christian thinkers society uh, where he challenges Christians to be able to, to answer the tough questions. In fact, he wrote a book um, based off of all the questions that he was receiving. I, I got about this far on all my plane trips, uh, way more planes than I intended to ride over the last few days and more hotels than I really planned on staying in. Uh, my wife asked me, was it worth it? And I said, was the trip worth it or the travel worth it? Because I have decided to differentiate the two. There's, there's travel and then there's the trip. And uh, the travel is not always that great. But in his book called Unanswered, he begins to attempt with about six or seven questions to give Christians answers to tough questions that you've been, been trying to and we, and we and he felt like the most unqualified person but when he laid hands to pray he understood he empathized with that moment with that situation and within the next year that person came back and they had their baby and yet he and his wife were still barren and he said he learned four things, four things through that five-year journey where it seemed like God was speaking so profoundly in all these other areas, but the one area where Jeremiah needed to hear his voice the most, it seemed like God was silent. He said he learned four things, and these aren't in your notes. I'm just giving this to you. He said, number one, the silence of God is biblical. The silence of God is biblical. I'm going to come back to that. The next thing he said he learned was that the silence of God was personal. God would personally sit with you in the silence and make you seek him in a way that you would not have sought him if he would have spoken immediately. The silence of God is biblical and personal. In fact, the silence of God is fairly common. Did you know that between the Old Testament and the birth of Jesus Christ, Jewish and New Testament scholars alike, Christian scholars alike, refer to the time between Malachi and Matthew as the silent years of God. 400 years of silence where God did not speak. In fact, there's only really one in 400 years, there's only really one recorded miracle. And it's the miracle of the Maccabees. It's the miracle of God making the candle burn in the temple for eight days on one day of oil as they prepared to rebuild and continue that uh, essence unto God. 400 years of silence. It's biblical. It's personal. It's common. And number four, he said this a little bit differently, but we just reword it to make it fit for us. Essentially, he was saying the silence of God has a great purpose. It has a great purpose. It's biblical. It's personal. It's common. But it has a purpose. If you'll let God use you, for instance, God gave Abraham a promise. He said, I'm going to make you the father of nations. Your descendants will be as numerous as the stars. The problem with that is many of you know, and some of you have forgotten or maybe even never heard. The problem with that promise was <laughs> Abraham was 90 years old. 
And his wife was no spring chicken. God told them, you're going to receive a child. You're going to have a child. And you're, you're, he actually says, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, as, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. That's how many descendants you will have. I'm going to make you a father of nations. And then God went silent. Not for two years. Not for five years. Not for ten years. Not for 15 years, but for 25 years. Although God had given Abraham a promise, God went silent. What would you do? Joseph was 16 years old. He had a dream. God gave him a promise in that dream. He showed him that he would have all the nations bow to him. In fact, even his father and brothers would bow to him. And he made a mistake. See, if you have a dream where God promotes you beyond your brothers, you keep it to yourself. I am the oldest brother. And if my little brother came to me and said, guess what God said? He said, you're going to bow down to me. And I'd say it'd be a cold day in Hades before I bowed. I'm telling you right now, the Texans are going to win a Super Bowl before I bow down to you, brother. It ain't happening it ain't this guy gonna and so his brothers had the same response that I would have if my younger brother came to me and said I had a dream and God said you're gonna bow down to me joker and I was like you're gonna bow down right now <laughs> who's bowing now so I mean it's just the nature of the big brother right Jacob had this dream and then his brothers threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery as soon as he got out of the pit and out of the slavery, he ends up in Potiphar's house and he's falsely accused. I know a man, right? Listen to me. Hear me. The reason that we have such tight boundaries, such high hedges, is because I've seen what happens when men don't. I've seen what happens when women don't. The reason that we put another person or our spouses in a text message when we go to text the wife of another man? The reason that I ask permission from a husband before I call a wife? The reason that I ask permission from my wife before I call another woman? The reason that I don't meet with women alone? The reason that you're not going to catch me in a vehicle? Now, there may be exceptional moments where I have to just jump in with Pastor Lydia and run to pick up Aaron or something, but there are not going to be moments where I have in my life this excuse to just spend time alone with women who are not my wife. And by the way, just for all the single people, don't hold me to an accountability as a married man that you're not holding yourself accountable to as a single person. It's not okay for a teenager to be doing things that I shouldn't be doing as a 35-year-old. Come on, I'm trying to help you this morning. We've got to raise our hedges and broaden our boundaries if we want to set people and ourselves up for success and apparently Joseph didn't do it see we read the story and we go oh poor Joseph Potiphar's wife accused him of something he didn't do why was he in the room alone with her he should have never given her the opportunity to accuse him of something he shouldn't have been in that place if he would have had the boundaries, if he would have had the hedges, if he would have operated by the principles, then Potiphar's wife would have never had the opportunity. And I've seen great men fall, not because they did anything, but because they were accused of something in a situation that they should have never been in. 
When Jacob is falsely accused, he's thrown into prison. Jacob asks the baker to remember him when he goes before the king and the baker forgot him. For two more years, Jacob sits in the prison. At approximately 30 years old, Jacob finally gets before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh ends up promoting him because God never left him even when he seemed silent. In fact, God used him. Genesis 30, verse 27 and 28. Laban says, Jacob, please listen to me. Jacob, nephew, please listen to me. I've become wealthy for the Lord has blessed me because of you. Tell me how much I owe you. Whatever it is, I'll pay it. The Lord has blessed me because of you. Jacob, in the midst of walking through what felt like a road through hell, used the man, allowed God to use him to reach the man and minister to the man that was causing him the most problems. Laban looked at Jacob. Jacob should have hated this man, but instead Jacob let God use him as an example for this man. Laban looked and said, tell me, tell me how much I owe you. What do I owe you? I have become wealthy. The Lord has blessed me because of you. Whatever it is, I will pay it. Who is in your life right now that has the opportunity to say, the Lord has blessed me because of you? See, most of the time when God blesses somebody else because of us, we don't celebrate with them. We become bitter because of them. Most of the time, we look at their promotion we look at their success, and we get mad at God and say, God, what happened? Was it not me that was faithful? Was it not me that you were using? God, was it not me that went 20 years underneath this deceiver, underneath this trickster, and you blessed him? God, what did I do? Well, you didn't do anything. You let God use you. Can, I want to read to you from the NIV. I, I hope we have it. If we don't, I'll just, the NIV in verse 28 same passage, just a different. The Bible says in 27, Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. Watch this. I have learned by divination. Verse 27, same verse. Just read it in the NIV instead of the NLT. I, if I have found favor in your eyes, please stay. I have learned by divination. Okay, just divination is devil worship. Okay, Divination, the Bible, is, is disobedience to God. That's all divination is. The Bible says that um, in, the, in, the, in the book of Samuel, it's the sin of divination. It's, it's reference to, it's similar to disobedience. It's as of the sin of divination or the sin of devil worship. Okay, so Laban says, watch this, I have learned by worshiping the devil, that the Lord has blessed me because of you. In other words, I was doing everything to you that the devil told me to do, and yet you were faithful. And I have learned through disobedience to God and obedience to the devil that God had his hand on you, that there's something significant about you. There's something special about you. I came against you with everything that I had, and yet you persevered. You let God use you even when I was taking advantage of you. I've learned through divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. 
I want you to notice that Stephen, many scholars reference in the book of Acts as the first Christian martyr. Stephen was stoned as Saul stood by. And I can't help but think that during that period of time when Saul did not have his sight because he had seen Jesus in the flesh and in the spirit, Jesus manifest in his glorified body before Saul of Tarsus revealed himself and Saul went blind. And I can't help but think that one of the scenes that Saul looked over in his blindness over that period before God removed the scales was Stephen in the midst of his stoning looking up into the heavens and giving God praise for his persecution. That same Saul would become Paul and Paul would be flogged five times, five times. A lot of people, I didn't know this until just a few years back. Paul received the same flogging that Jesus received before the crucifixion. Paul received it, but he didn't just receive it like Jesus received it. Paul, in his life, received that flogging five times. Five times he was flogged by Romans. Five times he received those 39 stripes. Five times, and at the end of it, he was imprisoned. And at midnight, he was singing God's praise. And his imprisonment led to the jailer's revelation. His bondage led to the jailer's freedom. In the midst of singing those praises after being flogged and imprisoned, he still let God use him in that moment. He still sang the praises of God, and it led to the salvation of the one who held him in those chains. The church in China would not understand TBN preaching. The church in Pakistan would not comprehend the prosperity gospel. Because you can't tell those people that if you'll serve God, everything will work out in blessing and favor. If you tell them that, they would be confused. They would wonder if God even loved them. Which is why so many people are falling from the faith. Because you can't sit around, watch TV, send some man a thousand dollars and expect the will of God in your life. You've got to stand up, get up, walk this thing out on a daily basis and watch God use you in the midst of persecution you will be tried in this lifetime will you let God use you through the trial Jesus on the cross Elo Elo Lama Sabachthani my God my God why have you forsaken me some people just read through that. Why have you forsaken me? No, 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 no. I see it different. I see Jesus as 100% man coming out in this moment. Almost as if God did something that he didn't expect. I See, I think that his spirit knew it was coming, but his flesh didn't know how bad it was going to hurt. God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? I didn't even do anything. Come on, like a child. Daddy, what's me? I didn't even do anything. <laughs> Why have you forsaken me, God? And yet, Jesus' suffering in that moment, his suffering in a moment, led to the salvation of a multitude. 
even when God left him. Did you know the Bible makes a promise that God will never leave you or forsake you? You know why God can do that? Because Jesus already paid that price. When God left Jesus, he let God use him anyways. Number two, not only do you have to let God use you, but you've got to let God lead you. Let me show you Genesis 31, verses 1 through 3. Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling against him. Jacob has robbed our father of everything. This guy's robbed our father of everything. Jacob's like, dude, I've been an indentured servant for the last 20 years. I hadn't robbed y'all of anything. And these sons, Jacob has robbed our father of everything. He has gained all his wealth at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. See, just a chapter earlier, he had said, The Lord has blessed me because of you. Tell me what to pay, and I'll pay it. I owe you my all. But then God begins to put his hand on Jacob. And the person that wanted to be, that was willing to pay, is now looking for payment. Because when God begins to elevate you, other, be, other people become envious of you. And you got to watch out. Because in your elevation, even in Christ, will come envy that you'll have to deal with. And Laban changed his attitude towards Jacob, and Jacob began to notice. But look who never changed his attitude toward Jacob. But the Lord said to Jacob, See, people change. Guys, look, people will let you down. Okay? Hey, pastors will let you down. You hear me? Godly people let you down. Say one thing one day, turn around the next day and say they didn't say it. They'll leave you hanging. They'll let you down. But the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there. And I will be with you. I will be with you. You thought I was silent. But you were never forsaken. You thought that I'd pulled my hand off of you, but I didn't pull my hand off of you. I was actually trying to help you learn about my heart. So when God doesn't reveal his hand, we need to learn how to trust his heart. When God lets go of our hand, just like we will do with our own, there will be a day when I let go, when I don't walk across the street with my children hand by hand. When we can't feel God's hand, We've got to learn to trust his heart. Listen, hear me. His promises are still yes and amen. The silence may last for 25 years, but God has not forgotten his promise. His mercies never end. They're made new every single morning. 
So in the midst of walking through the gateway to heaven that now feels like the road through hell, you don't have to begin to wonder whether God is there. You can know that whether you're in the valley or on the mountain, whether you are in the heavens or you make your bed in Sheol, God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. His power is still perfected in your imperfection. God will lead you. Will you let it? It's through God's test that we develop trust. Some of you are like, okay, I trust him. He can stop the test now. I get it. I get it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Give me a check on this one. We'll move on to the next one. I'm telling you. There's nothing like testing. The Lord is not like us. He doesn't spoil His children. He fills them. He trains them. The testing of God leads to the trust of His child. Perseverance will build character and character hope. Here, check this out. Earthly persecution. Hear me. A a biblical promise. 7,400 of them. Earthly persecution. If you will persevere, will always lead to your all of creation is silent. The angels and the elders, silent. Abraham, Moses, Elijah, Elisha, silent. David is not playing his harp. Silence in the heavens for three days. I don't know how long your three days has been. And I don't know how long it will be. But I can tell you that on the third day, there was a sound. The silence of God led to a moment on the third day. And the greatest miracle of creation's existence happened at the end of a silent moment. In the midst of the silence, the miracle was stirring. Three days of silence, the miracle was stirring. Three days, all of creation stood in awe and wonder, and the disciples hid in fear, and yet the miracle was stirring. All of these examples. On the third day, Jesus came back to life. Joseph became second in command. Jacob became Israel, triumphant in God. And Abraham is today known as Father Abraham. And all of Christianity and Judaism points back to that promise that was made to him that he had to wait on for 25 minutes, 25 years. All of these examples. The testing of God led to his people being triumphant in God. If you would bow your head, close your eyes this morning. Jesus, what are you saying to me?